look at verses 1, 2, and 3. I want to remind you of what the Bible teaches in reference to embracing change. Uh, these are changing days, aren't they? In, in some ways, very uncomfortable change. No question about it. But this time, as we look at Acts chapter 18, I want you to uh, look at it from the perspective of thankfulness. Change, unexpected change, undesired change, and still with the ability to be thankful. That's what we just sang about, I'm sure you noticed. To be thankful no matter what may come our way. And certainly things do change, don't they? Back in 1976, it was disco for me. In 2022, it's Costco. (laughs) Back in 1986, I said, ah, whatever. And now today, in 2022, it's, well, it depends. Life changes. If you go online, you'll get uh, an array of tips on how to change your life. For the better, I would assume. And here's one, one site from Forbes magazine, which promises this, 25 Micro habits that will completely change your life in one year. It's a pretty big promise. Let me read to you a few of them, not all 25. Drink one more glass of water. Really? Learn to say no. Observe your patterns. Read more. And here's another one. Write a paragraph. And I wonder, who are they writing to? Vegetables? I mean. But it goes to show you how elementary the world can be. Uh, These should be the norm of life. And yet, for so many people, these are new. They are novel ideas that that promise to change your lives. You, You could also get plenty of spiritual advice as well online. Uh, Here's one set of pieces of spiritual advice coming to us from Kansas University. Here's number one, explore your spiritual core. Spiritual advice number two, travel. Number three, think positively. Number four, Take time to meditate. I point these out, and in all honesty, they had a few better ones, but I picked these for my purposes. The truth is, is that if you do not have God's truth, this is the kind of advice you have to settle for. It's not much. I want you to see here this morning as we look at the text of Acts 18, I want you to see the beauty of God's word and how it is God's word that will give to you real and deep, true advice, life-changing advice, life-altering, life-transforming counsel. These are not shallow words. 
Uh, life t- tends to be a, a tug of war, right? Between changes occurring that I want and changes that I do, do not want, rather, changes occurring that I do not want versus changes that I do want not occurring. So, so things are happening and changing that I never wanted to change, and at the same time, uh, the things I want to change don't seem to change. Most of us do want some degree of change. But naturally, we want change that is according to our plans, correct? Uh, we don't want change according to other people's plans. We want change that uh, is in accord with our timing, change that is in accord with our own desires. And sometimes changes do occur in accord with what we want. Uh, sometimes changes do occur that are in according to what we need. But oftentimes, changes come that are unexpected, and that's when life becomes frightening. Life becomes downright scary when changes occur in areas that we did not want and in ways that we never anticipated. It happens routinely, and we find ourselves wondering, why me, Lord? What are you doing, God? And what's going to happen next? Happens again and again, no matter what stage of life you are in. Well, this morning, we're given the example of a Christian couple that faced life changes in a way that I think is worthy of our admiration. Not only did they possess this ability to go through some rather wrenching life changes with their heads up, but they did it in a very honorable way. It wasn't just appearing to be honorable. It was downright honorable. These changes were significant. And it was not just honorable. They endured and even thrived through these changes with deep faith in Jesus Christ. They possessed a godly character that allowed them to have this solid confidence in God despite the changes that were coming their way. Mind you, they were not looking for these changes. They did not necessarily appreciate these changes when they first came on. And their ability was not necessarily something that was taught to them by their parents. It was not necessarily something that was taught to them by life experiences. Their ability to thrive in these changes was because of their solid confidence in Jesus Christ himself. And I say this to you because if they could, you could. If they did, we should. We too can endure the changes of life with a deep, abiding confidence that God is with us and God will see us through. In other words, you do not have to worry. I'm not suggesting you will be comfortable. I'm saying you do not have to worry. They possessed a godly character that put aside the constant, woe is me, why are you doing this to me, Lord, question. And instead, they asked this, what will you have of me, Christ? Oh, I see the change. What would you have me do, Christ? Instead of saying, oh, Lord, me? Really? Is that fair? 
How come you're doing this to me? I don't deserve it. Or I think he deserves the change more so than I. Have you ever said those words? Maybe not out loud, but in your heart to God. Ananias, rather, not Ananias, Aquila and Priscilla had a whole different attitude. They approached Christ and said, what will you have me do? What a difference. What a difference. Take notice of Aquila and Priscilla. It's recorded in chapter 18 of the book of Acts. Let me read to you three verses. After this, Paul left Athens. That's in Greece, right? After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, not too far away. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. That's what they did for a living. That's how Paul made his money for day-to-day expenses. He made tents. Now, as you can see here, just in this casual reading, there was a radical change in the life of uh, this Christian couple, a Jewish couple who became Christians. And I, I must say, Uh, Just as their life radically changed, we are seeing radical changes in our culture today. These changes are happening so quickly, at such a high speed, that I think your conscience may very well get whiplash. The sexual revolution of the 1960s pales in comparison to what's happening today with this transgender revolution. And as I mentioned downstairs, I'll mention again today, we are more religious today than we have ever been in the past. I don't know that we are becoming more secular. We are becoming, I think, more religious. However, the religion of today is no longer the religion of the Bible. It's no longer a Judeo-Christian religion. It is the religion of the occult. It is the religion of personal wellness. And it is the religion of critical race theory. Wokeism. They've all become religions, things that people have devoted themselves, heart, soul, and mind to. But they're all contrary to what the scriptures say. But it's become the new religion. And with this new religion comes a new way of thinking for the culture, which means that we as Christians have become the minorities. And it's very uncomfortable. But take my word for it, eventually you get used to being a minority. But it is uncomfortable. But if you look at history, Christian history, you see that the church thrived and it was a small, small minority. And as the church lived as the church should, eventually the church impacted culture. And and let me say this, that the church was doing very well until Christianity became a cultural Christianity. 
you know, we were just down south, and this is going to be online, and people from around the country and around the world are going to listen to this sermon. So I'm going to be very careful in what I say, because I don't want to in any way disrespect our southern brothers. But my wife and I were just down south, and we're just amazed by how many people go to church down south. It's amazing. A few years ago, we were down in Tennessee, and it just so happens that we sat in the same row with a couple from New Jersey. And, and we said, wow, it is so great to see so many people come to church. I mean, we had to walk a long ways just to find a parking spot. And we had to make our way into an aisle, just into a, the pews, just to find a seat. And the singing was magnificent. Every voice rang out in harmony. And we were just delighted. People go to church in the South. And my wife mentioned to the woman from New Jersey, said, it's so nice to see people just going to church. And she said, yes, but we have a problem here. This is just what we do. This, it's a cultural faith. It's not that we all believe it. This is what we do. In New Jersey, it was much easier because in New Jersey, you could tell who's a believer and who's not. True believers go to church. Unbelievers do not. I said, oh, it's something we knew, but to hear it from them was very interesting, very telling. My friends, we are living in a world where Christianity needs to impact culture. But we don't want to just change government so government becomes moral. Our cause, our cause is for the heart and souls of men and women and children. We don't want them simply to be moral, although that would be nice. We want them to know and honor Christ. We don't want just simply to have good politics. We want people who know and honor God in the way that God deserves to be known and honored. We want far more than just niceness in politics, in education, in medicine, in law. We want a transformation. And so what do we do? We give the gospel and we live out the gospel. Both are essential. Live it and give it. And in the process, do as we read in, Rome, in uh, Philippians 4. Be thankful. Be thankful. Because the Lord is in control of your life and in the life of this nation. Well, take notice here of what we see in this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. I want you to see their great zeal for the things of Christ, their character as servants of God. Priscilla, the wife, Aquila, the husband, they had this great zeal for the things of God. In fact, so much so that this couple is mentioned seven times in the New Testament. That's rather significant. Seven times. 
And we read from Acts chapter 18. Let me read to you from the very last chapter in Romans. Romans chapter 16 and verses 3, 4, and 5. Look at what Paul says about this couple. Now keep in mind that at this point, uh, Aquila and Priscilla are back in Rome, and Paul is writing to the church there in Rome. And look at what he says to, to the church there and to this couple in particular. He says, greet Prisca. Prisca was the formal name. Priscilla was like the nickname. Okay. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles gives thanks as well, greet also the church in their house. Notice there, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. That's how he defines them. He says that they risked their necks on behalf of the apostle. He says all the churches in the Gentile world are grateful for this couple. And now that they're back in Rome, what are they doing at home? They have a church gathering in their house. That's pretty substantial. You, you see their desire to serve Christ, how it comes out. It just pours out in these verses, doesn't it? Now, let me give you a biographical sketch of this couple. Um, he, uh, Aquila, and maybe too Priscilla, I don't know, but certainly Aquila was born in Turkey in, in a place called Pontus. I think you have a map there, correct? It's on the southern shore of the Black Sea. It was a mountainous region that was broken up with some fertile plains. And it was known in its time for its olives, its timber, and its grain. And he was married to a woman named uh, uh, Priscilla. Uh, I, I'm not sure what Priscilla means, but her real name is Prisca. Her nickname is Priscilla. Uh, his name is Aquila, which means eagle. Now, Priscilla is a name that's still somewhat used here in our day and age. I've yet to meet a guy named Aquila. Although some years ago I did do a wedding and the groom's name was Eagle. Uh, that's Bob, uh, Bob's son-in-law, Aquila. And, and they were Jews, but they heard the gospel and they gave their life to Christ. They became Christians. They were converted. And here we have yet another instance in which God uses the famished, insufficient truths of Judaism in order to be a foundation for their faith in Jesus Christ. And whereas we don't see that so much here in our circles, we do see that same idea, that same concept with Catholicism. Catholicism, for many of you, served as the basis by which you would be introduced and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what's happening here. Uh, their faith was nurtured by the truths of Judaism. And they lived in Rome, in Italy. So you have a Jewish couple from Turkey who become Christians who live in Italy. How's that? But it was under the rule of Emperor Claudius around the year 49 A.D., that they and all the Jews in Rome were commanded to leave the city. Uh, now, it might be interesting to you that we do have historical writings entitled The Life of Claudius, the 24th, point four. That's the volume. 
suggests that there was this great or significant disturbance in Rome, and it, it seems, it's hard to understand exactly how it reads, but uh, it seemed to be a disturbance between the Jews and the Christians. It was not the first time, but I believe it was the third time now, the Jews are kicked out of Rome. If you're Jewish, you're out of here. Can you imagine that? If you're Polish, you can't live in wantage. Imagine that. If you're Dutch, no, that would never happen to the Dutch. <laughs> if you're Brazilian, you have to leave Sussex County. I can't imagine that happening, but that's exactly what happened to the Jews in Rome. And, and the result is, is that Rome was, as Rome is being purged of all its Jews, they scatter into different parts of the known world, and Aquila and Priscilla move to Corinth. They go eastward to the metropolis of Corinth. Now, Corinth at this point had about 200,000 people in population. Um, it's a pretty big city, especially for its day and age. And in Corinth, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they take up uh, not only residence there, but also their trade as, as tent makers. They, they start their business up again. Um, back then, tents were not used necessarily for recreation. You know, what do we use tents for? Mostly recreation. In those days, it was very little, little concept of vacationing and going away on recreation. Uh, tents were more so a staple of your day-to-day -day life. Some tents were made out of leather, some were made out of cloth, some out of goat's hair, some out of linen. Whatever the case, this is what they did. And this is how they made their income. And what we learn is that the Apostle Paul also was a tent maker. Now, that was his trade. How did Paul make ends meet? He made tents. He had a thimble and a needle and thread, and he made tents. And what I find interesting is that the synagogues of the time were divided according to guilds or unions. And so it would have been very easy for the Apostle Paul to find Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, he would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there in one corner uh, were all the, the plumbers' union. And Rome did have plumbing. And they sat together. In another corner were all the tent makers. And so there was Aquila, Priscilla, Paul sat there with them. And in another corner were the electricians. And that corner was empty. And because it was yet to be discovered. And so it would have been very easy for the Apostle Paul to have met Aquila and Priscilla and to discover that they were like-minded now keep in mind that there was no church in Corinth. That's why the apostle was there. But that's not why this couple went to Corinth. We don't know exactly why they went. We know they did go. And we know there was no church there. But if you look on at chapter 18 and you look at verses 7 and 8, you'll see there that soon after their arrival, a church was established right next door to the synagogue. It, it wasn't much time before they started spreading the gospel, people began to believe, and they started a church right next door to the synagogue. Now, I would imagine, and the text doesn't tell us, but I think it is safe to say that they resented the emperor's decree. 
You live in Rome, you're a Jew, get out of here. How harsh they must have thought. How unfair. This is simply wrong. The truth is that nobody wants to be banished. And they were banished. But what I want you to see, that as a result of this trial, as a result of this radical change, they became acquainted with the Apostle Paul. In fact, they became good friends. They became partners in business. Paul lived with them. They hosted the Apostle Paul in their home. And because of all that this occurred, because they were banished from Rome and they go and move to the metropolis of Corinth, they become co-laborers in the ministry of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla join hands and they work together for the extension of the kingdom of God. You'll notice very interestingly in chapter 18 of Acts, verse 18, that when Paul eventually left Corinth, guess who went with them to Syria? Who went with him? Aquila and Priscilla. For the sake of the gospel. If you take a look at chapter 18, beginning of verse 24, you'll see that while in Corinth, they met a man by the name of Apollos. Apollos was a a, a man who had great interest in the things of God, and yet he knew so little. Who was it that trained Apollos in the truth of the gospel of Christ? That's right, Priscilla and Aquila. Apollos went on to be a leader in the church of Christ. If you jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19, Guess who we find in Ephesus, back in Turkey, Aquila and Priscilla. Now they go back to Turkey to do what? The work of the gospel of Christ. You see their heart? You see how fervent they were? Now they could have said, I can't believe you're doing this to me, Lord. I can't believe these changes. This is just, just not right. We were serving you. We were doing everything we're supposed to do. We're honest workers. We're good people, Jesus. Why are you doing this to me? (laughs) That's not what they said. They said, what will you have of me, O God? And here, now they are in Turkey, in Ephesus. If you go to 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19... You see that while they're there in Ephesus, guess what they do? They establish a church in their home. Why in their home? Because church buildings did not yet exist. And so people met in halls, or better yet, in their homes. And whose home? Priscilla and Aquila. They opened the doors for the church. And, and if you read on, as we did earlier, I mentioned Romans 16.3 to you. Eventually, they do return to Rome, where they started. And that's where Paul writes to them. And he says, greet Aquila and Priscilla. And what we see there is that, once again, they established a church in their home. That's how eager they are for the things of the Lord. They had this particular character. They were willing to make sacrifices for the things of God. You see that? Are you with me? 
Yes? They were willing to make sacrifices. Now, we could argue that life was sacrificial enough. No, that's not what they said. They made sacrifices for the things of God. They made sacrifices for the church of Christ. That's the kind of character they had. They made even great sacrifices, even to the point of risking their lives. Wow. Uh, Paul says they put their necks on the line for me. Why? Because of their godly character, they were willing to do these things. And look, because of their godly character, they made sacrifices, and God used them tremendously. Maybe you've wondered why God doesn't seem to use you like he uses, or he used Aquila and Priscilla. Could it be, I'm not suggesting it is, but you have to determine for yourself, could it be that it's because you're not making sacrifices for him? Your your, your heart is not there. Oh, you, you do some things, but it's more what is natural, more what is common. They were making sacrifices for the things of God. And because of that, God used them widely. You see it? You look at their lives, and you see that they were people who served God, they sacrificed for God, they trusted God. And how did they serve, sacrifice, and trust? Through the church of Jesus Christ. They served Christ through the church. They sacrificed for Christ through the church. They trusted Christ and grew the church. The changes that they were experiencing did not interfere with this aspect of their lives. They could have said, whoa, no, no, there's too much change going on around here. No, they took those changes and they used those changes for the glory of God. It's not that they wanted the changes. Or anticipated the changes. But they used those changes for the cause of Christ. In fact, those changes actually spurred them to be used by God. They trusted God in the midst of great changes. And and they rejoiced in being used by and for the cause of Christ. And think about it. Look at the advantage that they had. Look at what they benefited from as a result of their attitude in the midst of these changes, they met the Apostle Paul. On a daily basis, they ended the day in a conversation with this great man of God. They sat around the table and ate, and they discussed life with the Apostle Paul. Think of how often you've read through the scriptures and you've been blessed by the words inspired and given to the Apostle Paul to pen as our Bible. Now imagine having him in your house. They enjoyed his company. And I'm sure they also enjoyed the fact that Paul was obviously a very industrious person. Would you want a better business partner? So I'm sure the business did well as well. Their souls were fed. Their pockets were taken care of. Their fears were taken away because they were willing to serve, sacrifice, and trust. Now, why am I telling you this? So that you could go home and say, well, I really appreciate that Aquila and Priscilla. 
No. Well, I want you to appreciate them, of course. But I'm telling you this because there's a lesson in here for all of us. If they did, we should. With no exception. Child of God, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is an example for us. This is not just a story of a Jewish couple. It is an example for the rest of us. Not a means of guilting any one of us, please. Guilt is short-lived. No, but as a goal for each one of us. A goal in this life. And it all began for this couple with an unprecedented change. A change that appeared to be disastrous. One that I would imagine at first must have enraged them. It it, it was a trial that meant that they had to pack up their house, sell the business. Maybe they had to sell their home. I I don't know. It, It would lead them then to a place that they were not familiar with, a very profane city filled with pagan practices. And now they would be forced to start all over again. Have you ever been in that position where you had to start all over again? Some of you have, and you know how hard that is. A new home, new customers, new friends, a new place of worship, new practices, everything is new. And this is where they were. And mind you, they did not take a 747 Boeing to Corinth. I'm sure that they would agree, looking backwards, and even as they lived it out, I'm sure that they would agree that it was good, it was good that God brought them to this difficult trouble that God placed them in this circumstance. Because it was through these difficult circumstances that they were able to see these life-transforming episodes, not only for them, but for all those people they touched. So that Paul says, the Gentile churches thank you. Let me read to you a quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry, great commentator in New Testament and Old Testament from the 1600s. It's old, but it's still true. Henry writes this, God never intended that this life be for our rest. And and yet... That's exactly what we pursue, isn't it? I work hard, what, so I could rest more. I work hard so that I could be at more leisure. Our lives are designed for rest. And yet, Henry makes a very good biblical point. Our lives were never designed for our rest. Rest will come in eternity, in heaven. Here's another important quote, I think. Christians do not grow through gentle trials. I wish we did, but we don't. We don't grow through gentle trials. It is the difficulties of life that make us grow, 
spiritually, to mature. Take advantage of them. And Henry goes on to say, Matthew Henry goes on to say, he says, sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. So welcome them with sober minds. Uh, Don't welcome these afflictions with a pessimistic attitude, uh, which says, well, what did you expect? And don't be stoic about it either and say, well, I could get through this one. I could tough it out. No, no. We get through our trials through steadfast trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be steady in that trust, knowing that he will use it for your own good. You know, the Bible is very clear about that, that he will use those trials for your own good. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it reads this way. If you have it in your scriptures, in your hand there, you may want to open it. I don't think it's on the screen. It says, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And we know. How do we know? Well, for those of you who are seasoned Christians, you know by experience. But if you don't know by experience, you can know from the word of God. And we know. It's not we're guessing, not we're thinking, we're not, not we're imagining. But we know. We know that God works all things for our good. Now, notice here there are two conditions, though. It's not just for the good of anybody. There's two conditions. One is this. Condition number one. God works all things for the good of those who love him. Those who love him. In other words, if you do not love him, do not expect your adverse circumstances to be to your advantage. But if you do love him, and condition number two, who have been called according to his purpose, in other words, you are in Christ, you are his child, then, then you can be sure that whatever may come your way, whatever adversity may fall on you, it will be used by God for your good. Not everyone can claim this promise, but child of God, you can. That is to say that nothing occurs by chance in the hands of God to the children of God. I assure you that he will lead you, and you will be greeted with three things at every point of adversity. You will be greeted with his mercy, you will be greeted with his truth, and you will be greeted with his strength, all according to his purpose. It will prevail. Well, let me just show you how adverse this situation was for Aquila and Priscilla, unless you think that, well, it's not so bad, so they had to move. So they had to go to Corinth. Let me show you what Corinth was like, all right? Just in case you're wondering. Uh, These were overwhelming changes. They truly were. As we said, as we read here in 18, Acts 18, they moved to Corinth. And Corinth, at one point in history, had uh, about 700,000 people. At this point, there are about 200,000. And that's because the Roman government had come and uh, uh, turned the city into rubble. Now, 100 years later, they're at about 200,000 people. It was a major seaport. It had two major seaports, actually, uh, between the Aegean and Adriatic Seas. In fact, 
Uh, what I find very interesting about Corinth is that in order to avoid the dangerous waters, that 200-mile trek around southern Greece, what they would do is either roll or drag ships across the isthmus of, Cor of Corinth. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? All these rollers and, and people just pulling the ships across day in, day out. The city was filled with all sorts of pagan worship. There were shrines and temples everywhere. Uh, one particular series of temples loomed on a mountain or a prominence 1,800 feet high. And on that mountaintop, there was this huge temple to the goddess of love, Aphrodite. On top of that temple was a statue of her. What I find amazing about the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was the use of 1,000 temple prostitutes. How would you worship Aphrodite? Through temple prostitutes. Men and women doing all sorts of things. This is where they were going to. Uh, certainly it was a cosmopolitan, crowded, metropolis that thrived on commerce and entertainment but also on vices extremely corrupt city and one writer puts it this way pleasure seekers came there to spend money on holiday from morality corinth became so notorious for its immorality that when somebody was living a debauched or immoral lifestyle people would turn to them and say, you know, you're such a Corinthian. And that was the insult of insults. You're such a Corinthian. If there was a savvy promoter back in those days, he would have come up with this line. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I mention all this because the changes we are facing are rather drastic too, aren't they? This transgender, transgender people in our children's libraries. Who would have thought that this would be normal? Woke theory being taught to our children, whether in elementary school or colleges. Uh, and the sort of sex instruction that's being taught to our children in elementary schools. And the political corruption, I think we're all tired of, aren't we? This is what they were facing as well. And I would suggest even worse. Even worse. And yet the church grew and thrived because of God's people. Giving the gospel and living the gospel. Here we find this God-fearing couple. Jews turned to Christians. Two Christians who said, well, well, here we are. We've settled in Rome. We have a nice business. Everything is going well. We found some nice brothers and sisters we can sh uh, worship with. We have a rather comfortable life. Now, all of a sudden, everything has changed. You know, for many of us, the idea of moving to Manhattan would make us cry ourselves to sleep. The idea of moving to the center of Las Vegas would be horrendous. Correct? That's where these people, this couple, was going and ended up. 
These were overwhelming changes. And I must say, at times, the, the plan of God, the will of God, simply doesn't make much sense, does it? Sometimes it is very hard to trust in God. It's not that we don't want to, but we simply find the choices that God's given to us to be, well, overbearing, sometimes exasperating, surprising, unimaginable, far into our own plans, our own expectations. And so what do we do? We respond with fear. We respond with objection. And this is what I think about God's people, myself included, is that we are prone to grumbling and complaining about God's will just as quickly as the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness were. Whenever there is a hint of something that we did not want in a way that we did not want it, what do we do? We raise up our arms and say, really, God, this is your great plan for my life? And we complain. We point a finger at him. Now, we are not told how Ananias, rather, Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila first responded. We don't know. We don't need to know. We're not told what happened, but we do know what happened when they did obey and when they leaned on Christ. We do know that. And we do know what happened when they chose to serve Christ without reservation. What matters is not how they initially reacted. What matters, my friends, is where their faith finally landed. Would it be in objection and fear, or would it be in obedience and peace? And in closing, let me say this. Aquila and Priscilla knew what God willed for them, and they followed. They went, and they chose to trust him. Notice that. They chose to trust him. They actively chose to serve him. They actually chose to go full speed ahead with the things of the Lord. They were not daunted. They did not slow down. In fact, they picked up the pace. And they were actively thankful for God's hand in their lives. If they were not thankful, they would have never done what they did. They were thankful. Not because this is what they wanted, but because this is what God was going to do to use them and fulfill his purpose. And look at what God did. He not only fulfilled his purpose, but he blessed them thoroughly. He provided for, that, for them amply. And he gave to them the desires of their hearts. Even to the point of allowing them to return back to Rome to where their home was. You see what God did? Our God is good, my friends. Don't forget that. And he will grant to any of you the same mercy and the same truth if you simply, simply devote yourself and go full speed ahead with the things of Christ. Mark my words. He will give to you the same mercy. He will fill your life with the same truth. He will bless you 
when you go full speed ahead with the things of Christ. Make that a goal for yourself in this coming year. You know what? Why not end the year with that goal? Begin there. Let me pray. Our Lord, thank you. Thank you that you give to us examples like Aquila and Priscilla. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony that they bear. Thank you, Lord, for the things they did in your name. But we pray, Lord, that this would be more than a historical account, but rather an example to us. And that you would give us strength to emulate them and do as they did. In your name I pray. We pray, O God. Amen.